0: You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. Hi, it's Robin McMahon here and welcome back to my show. You know, When I was first learning how to be a more peaceful parent, one of the things that really helped me was really just understanding how the brain works, how the brain works developmentally, how it works when we are in fight or flight mode, how it works when we're angry, frustrated, and um, what's happening when our kids are having a meltdown. So I really wanted to explain some of the information that I think it's really important for every parent to know about the brain. So first thing I wanna tell you is I'm not here to bore you to tears with a bunch of information on the brain, I'm gonna talk about it at a really high level, but I wanna explain it in a way so that you can understand it so that it can help you with your parenting. Learning about the brain is really the foundation of peaceful and nonviolent or conscious parenting. Um, It's because of what we know now about children's brains that it's really gonna serve you in understanding your child so much better. Now, brain patterns are built through the connection that you have with your child. Neuropathways are formed all the time in the brain. And neuropathways work like a super highway, right? They, they have millions of thoughts happening over and over and over again, or you could even say they're like ski, ski tracks in the snow. Like if you ever watched cross-country skiing or have gone cross-country skiing, those are deep paths that are formed in the snow, and you take that same path over and over and over again, and it's the same with the brain. You take normally the well-defined, most established old used neural pathways right and since they're like tracks in your brain you think the thoughts over and over again and they continue to create these deep pathways now if you have a pathway or thought or a belief which isn't creates a neural pathway then you are using it over and over again and what happens if that thought doesn't serve you what happens if that's a thought or a belief that you have that doesn't help you with your child like you're the worst, or he never listens or she's just so bossy or you know she's always complaining, she's a she's so demanding. He's always causing trouble, right? Those stop you from seeing what's really going on with your child. So the great thing about the brain is that you can choose and create new neural pathways, which is done by intentionally creating a new thought or belief over and over again through repetition. Now, the old and unused neural pathways die off or cease to exist. Isn't that neat? So it's important to point this out, but if we aren't creating new neural pathways and just only thinking my kid's so bossy or is always getting in trouble, my child never listens to me, we're going to always default back to those same thoughts and beliefs. But we can create new ones so we can see our child in a new light right? We can see them and say, my child really needs to get her needs met, not my child is so bossy. Or my son never listens to me. Could be, I need to pause and connect with my child before I make a request, right? So we can change the way we we see things and the old ways of thinking literally die away because our brains are use dependent. So With the brain and the way it develops, I want to really simplify the complex workings of the brain and look at it as having three main areas. Now I talk about these three main areas in my book, The Yelling Cure as well. Um, And really what it is, is we're looking at the brain as a lower area of the brain, which includes the brainstem and cerebellum. And this is the area of the brain that's most developed when babies are born. Now we call this area of the brain, the alarm center, because it ensures survival with hunger and breathing, in circulation, that sort of thing. And it also responds to danger with fight, flight, or freeze. The next area of the brain is the middle area or the emotional brain. And this is the area that is the amygdala, right? Again, in simple terms, it's the amygdala and it's the emotional center of the brain. This is where we have feelings, feelings, and more feelings. It also houses memory and a sense of self. Now, here is what I really want you to hear is that children from birth to seven years old are living in this emotional center of their brain. And this is so helpful to know because knowing where our children are coming from, from seven to age seven to birth, knowing that they're in their emotional center, it just shows that when they have big outbursts and meltdowns and tantrums, they're really just acting their age. Now, the third area of the brain is the higher area of the brain, and this is the rational center, also known as the neocortex of the frontal lobes. Now, this is the area of the brain that manages reasoning, rational thought, problem solving, creativity, imagination, kindness, compassion, empathy, and concern. So in other words, it's where all the good stuff is. It's where all of what you want to see your child but to become as an adult all lives. Now, this area of the brain developmentally takes off around the age of seven, but doesn't fully develop until the age of about 24 or 25. Now, this is a really important note because let's say you have a teenager and you're feeling pretty hopeless with your teenager. Remember that they have many, many, many more years of brain growth, which means much more time to mature and to settle in to being the person who they are going to be. So just keep that in mind. And of course, in the teen years, there are lots of things going on brain-wise. They're, they're definitely in an emotional state as well, but there's lots of things going on in the brain, which will be a topic for another show because really the teen teenage brain deserves its own show. Now, Although the different areas of the brain are developing from infancy onward, we can generally say that the human brain develops from the lower brain to the higher brain. So from the alarm center to the emotional center to the decision-making center of the brain, low, middle, and higher. Now, let's talk about how the brain works in relationship to meltdowns. Which area of the brain do you think they come from? Well, They come from the middle brain, right? Since the lower area is fight, flight, or freeze, and the middle is the emotional center of the brain, that's where your child is during a meltdown. The higher center of the brain literally shuts down. Now remember that's where reasoning and rational thought lives so it's no wonder that we get irrational displays of emotion from our kids and us as parents too if we are caught in our own meltdown which i know happens it's happened to me and sometimes you know i can get caught up in that too even now so now as parents if we're able to keep our calm and we're able to parent from our higher brain which is where we want to parent from which is with calmness and empathy and compassion. But look, when we're triggered and angry, where do you think we're parenting from? Well, we're parenting either from our middle brain or our lower brain. Sometimes we're in fight or flight or freeze, right? So since your child is in their emotional center when they're having a meltdown, there is no way to reason with your child because they can't access that part of the brain. And the same goes for you if you're triggered. You can't access your higher brain. So since everyone is all emotion, it's not the time to parent your child. And if you're not in your higher brain, it is, it is, your child can be parented in, when they're in that state and you cannot parent your child effectively. So we've got to wait until everybody calms down, take some breaths, give everybody a moment to just be calm, and then you can parent your child. Now, when our child is in the middle of a meltdown, what do we often do? We often say things like use your words or just calm down or will you cut it out? Will you stop it? Stop it right now. Well, your child can't do that. They don't have access to that higher brain, right? I can't emphasize it enough. And quite honestly, what would you do if you were in the middle of your own meltdown? Would somebody saying calm down or just stop it or get over it? Would that actually help you? Probably not. I think I would rage even harder. If you can't recognize that I'm upset right now, and you think that I can just turn this off and stop crying and being upset, well, you're out of your mind if you think I can. Well, it's the same for our kids. Why do we expect them to do things that we can't even do, that we would be really angry at someone for suggesting we do? Never in the history of calming down has telling someone to calm down ever calmed anyone down, am I right? (laughs) So don't do it for your child. What if instead we look at our kids as living in this world of giants, right? And they have to make sense of it throughout the day and they are experiencing frustrations and upsets. All day long and they're literally they literally have no way of dealing with their feelings or even able to articulate them to us to tell us what's really going on and as they go about our their day they still experience these frustrations and these upsets and they're actually building stress hormones up until they come to a critical point and we're so lucky because our young ones are built with a mechanism to help them release the pressure of these stress hormones that are building all day long. But guess what that is? It's a meltdown or a tantrum. So yes, what I'm saying is they are totally normal and expected, and it's part of the way they are wired at this age. So if this is the way they are, then why are we fighting against it? What if we showed up with acceptance of their emotions and said, I know you need to cry right now. Let's sit together until there aren't any more tears. I'm here with you until you calm down. This way you don't have to criticize them or think that they're just trying to manipulate you or embarrass you. You just need to let them know it's okay to let it out and If you are able to do that, if you're able to just accept them and show up with that acceptance, they're going to feel it. And they're going to be so much faster to calm down and end the meltdown. You need to try it. The next time your child has a meltdown, tell them, yes, I see you need to cry. I see you need to take some time to be upset. And I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to sit with you until you feel better. How does that sound? Do it. Do it and you'll see that it is a game changer because anything else is working against what's happening in your child's brain, what's happening with the way they're wired. So give it a try. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe and I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes and for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. So now let's talk for a minute about what happens when your kids are watching a screen. What happens in the brain? First thing I want to ask you is have you ever been watching TV or cooking dinner and immediately all of a sudden without warning, the power goes out and everything goes dead. It's hard to come out of that state of pleasure, isn't it? And it actually feels like a jolt. I've been in a a shopping mall when the power went out and everybody goes, Oh, like it's a shock. And then we all react. Well, this is the same jolt that our kids feel when they're immersed in screen time. It's hard for us to experience the jolt and it's equally hard, if not even harder for our kids. Because when they're absorbed in a game or a show, mentally, they're in another world. And it's during the, these moments that our brains produce dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter that sends signals to muscles to make them move and can make you feel really good and also relieve stress and pain. And brain-wise, all is well Until the screen is turned off. And what happens is that the dopamine levels in the body drop fast and without warning and can literally cause a sensation of pain in the body. And that's when we go from screen time to screen time with our kids, right? If you go in there and you just pull the plug out of the wall, you're not gonna get a good response from your child. If you go in there, grab the remote out of their hands, you know, just stop them from playing it's not going to create the kind of cooperation that you're looking for. So you need to gently guide them out of screen time. Sit with them for a moment. Have them tell you what's going on. And when they come out of their their world, come out of the stupor of the game or the show that they're watching, that's when you can go and tell them, hey, it's time to disconnect. We've got to go. We've got to have dinner. We've got to go to school, whatever it is. It's time to disconnect. And you will get so much more cooperation that way. Now, I'm not here to vilify screens or the use of them or anything like that, but it's just important to be aware of what's going on. So if we go back to dopamine, learning that dopamine from screens is impairing children's impulse control and is also increasing their demand for instant gratification. Psychologists are even finding that sometimes kids will want to swipe real pictures or even punch books as if they're touchscreens, right? Isn't that a crazy, uh, I guess, consequence of this new way that we're absorbing information, it's very interesting. So this is why screens and electronics run the risk of keeping kids in a chronic state of hyperarousal, leaving them agitated and also, somehow exhausted. This heightened state makes it harder for kids to retain information, perform in school, and interact socially and relate to others, and even self-soothe and regulate emotions. This is not just the result of the reward center of the brain being overstimulated in response to screens, but a consequences of other important areas of the brain being underused. So the brain works like I like I talked about before on a use it or lose it principle, right? You can if you're not using those neural pathways that are built then they'll simply die away. So unless we're intentionally creating opportunities for focus, for delay of gratification and for boredom, the portions of the brain that regulates these functions actually has a potential to not even form or diminish function right They're not going to be as as formed and they're not going to form uh, to their full capacity. So just because a rush of dopamine feels good, really what that is doing is that tells us that what we're doing is good. It's really important that we recognize and know that screens trigger that release of dopamine, and the more screen time your child has, the chances are greater that they'll Possibly and potentially become addicted. So, how do you be proactive against this? You do that by practicing smart screen time habits, by prioritizing play, outside play, by prioritizing connection with humans, with us, with their friends, with the community, uh, and even just allowing your child to be bored. What a concept! Let them be bored. There is no crime in being bored. That is where imagination is born. That is where your child can explore and also explore their natural love of learning. Kids are born loving to learn. So give them those opportunities away from screen time to do that. Now let's think about our kids when they come home from school when they can come home from school, I want you to imagine just before what their day looks like. Imagine that they've been in a class all day and they've literally been told what to do every single moment. Told what they can eat, when they can play, when they have to sit still, when they can go to the bathroom, when they need to be quiet, and when they need to pay attention. Now, this also creates stress for a young child who's doing their best to be good, and I'm using air quotes, be good. You know, and what comes into play here is cortisol. Cortisol is generally referred to as the stress hormone because it's secreted into the bloodstream in larger quantities during stressful situations or in any environment that triggers that fight-flight response. Now, I bring this up because sometimes after school, you're gonna find your child with excessive energy and maybe a bit more resistant to listening to you, maybe a bit rude or even oppositional. This is when you need to be reminded that cortisol is probably at play here, that your child has been dealing with all of the things that he or she had to do to be good all the while, the cortisol levels are building and building throughout the day. And it starts out with cortisol trying to relieve the stress. And it can be good to calm you down and even give you a boost to make you feel like you can conquer your day. But in elevated levels, it's linked to distress and can directly affect your child's behavior. So give your child an opportunity to release the cortisol by letting them play outside, run around, be wild and free for a bit so they can come back down to regulation. And just know that if your child is grouchy or tired or irritable, that it's really just the cortisol. And think about all that they've had to do all day to really be good and sit when they're told to sit, play when they're told to play and do what they're told to do. That's what you expect of them. So give them a little bit of a break when they get home. And one of the things I wanna mention too is sometimes kids will be made to read right away or do homework right away. I don't recommend that. I think it's best to give them the time to to relax and play. They've done their time at school. So So give them some time before you even bring up homework. So I hope that this was helpful for giving you a really intro lesson to Brain Science 101 and how it can really help you with your parenting. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you in my next show. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe, and if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and